Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to share with you tonight out of the Gospel of Luke and out of the Gospel of Matthew. You know these verses, and uh, so uh, I'm just going to share them with you as we go. Um, There's a clothing brand that was first produced in the late 1980s called No Fear. It was for action, sport enthusiasts, uh, BMX, racing, surfing, and they have different t-shirts and hats, No Fear, and it's to embody a philosophy that they would love to live with, and that is to live without any fear of anything at all. In fact, I think my favorite No Fear shirt that I remember seeing, it said, absolutely, positively, most definitely, without a doubt, no fear. And then in parentheses, not even a little bit. (laughs) But the truth is, most people have some fear of something. And over the last few years, we have added to the fears of humanity with newer fears. Um, At the top of the fear list, if you will, most people say they are afraid of death either for themselves or the death of a loved one. Second to that is the fear of failure, that somehow they're not going to measure up in life. Then that's followed by the fear of violence, illness, and sort of a rising fear these days is the fear of debt. Now, children also have their share of fears. There was a, a town that decided to host a contest for children to write what they're most afraid of. And you would expect some of the usual entries. Uh, Some were afraid of the dark. Others were afraid of crocodiles. Others were afraid, they said, of tornadoes. Others were afraid of roller coasters and snakes, etc. But there's a a couple of noteworthy entries I want to read. One was uh, from a 12-year-old boy named Quentin who said, My biggest fear is a test. I'm afraid of it because it's like you know it, but when you get it in front of you, your brain just shuts off. And then eight-year-old Cheyenne, she wrote, My greatest fear is my future. Now that I'm in third grade, I'm afraid my future will start happening. Soon. (laughs) Soon I'll start getting scholarships and free enrollments in college. It's just that life is rolling by too fast. Is she an overachiever or what? (laughs) Typically, fear is developed. It's developed by children watching their older brothers and sisters get afraid of certain things, and they're told to be afraid of other things. It could be what they see in their parents. But there are some fears that are just out of the ordinary. They're not normal, we would say to us at least, but they're present among some. There was a book put out by Fraser Kent called Nothing to Fear. And he listed some of these more unusual fears. There's aerophobia, which is the fear of drafts of air blowing on you. And then there is porphyrophobia, the fear of the color purple. Another one is chiatophobia, the fear of hairy people. Well, that could be fearful. There's levophobia, the fear of objects on the left side of the body. 
and dextrophobia, the fear of objects on the right side of the body. Another one he writes about is thalassophobia, the fear of being seated. I had that when I was younger. Another notable one is stabis basophobia, the fear of standing and walking. And then there's odontophobia, the fear of teeth. I don't think your dentist has that, hopefully. And there's phobophobia, which is actually the fear of being afraid. Now, this past few years, added to the typical fears or even not-so-typical fears, have been the ones like terrorism, national and international violence on the rise, oil prices going up and then down, and we're wondering how long will they stay down before they go up. There's the fear of the economy that people have. What is the answer for all of these fears? It's found in the Christmas message. The fears of mankind are met by Christ during this time. In fact, we sing it typically every year when we sing the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Tucked in that song is that phrase, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Well, the first Christmas sermon ever preached, which was by shepherds on the outskirts of Bethlehem, included addressing that issue. It's familiar. Listen to it. Luke chapter 2. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It's interesting that in the very first Christmas message ever proclaimed was the command. Yes, it's a command to fear not or to not be afraid. In fact, four times in the gospel story, when I say the gospel story, it's the message that came to Joseph and then to Mary and then to the shepherds and even to Zacharias the priest. In all four of the accounts of the gospel message of the birth of Christ is the command four times to fear not. And I want to go through those tonight with you. Now what I want to do, without even turning to the scriptures, as I said, I'm going to read it to you out of my Bible, is a message from heaven, first of all, to a man named Zacharias, second, to Mary, who would be the mother of Jesus, third, to Joseph, and fourth, to those shepherds of Bethlehem. In all four of those is the commandment not to fear. And each one addresses, I believe, a particular kind of fear. The first is the fear of expectations that people have, or I would say unfulfilled expectations. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The man's name is Zacharias. Now, he was a priest. And as a priest, he served for two different weeks in the temple in Jerusalem. He was an old man, the Bible says, or it's very nice. It says, advanced in years. Isn't that sweet way of saying old? He and his wife Elizabeth always wanted a child. Every Jewish couple did. In fact, it was considered a stigma and a reproach not to be able to bear children. That was their expectation. That was their anticipation. And it was still unfulfilled. And now they were beyond the childbearing years. I said it was a stigma or a reproach. It's because statements like this, one of the rabbis in ancient times used to say, there are seven people that will be excommunicated from God. Number one on the list is 
a Jewish man who has no wife. And second, a couple that bears no child. So there's Zacharias. He's advanced in age. He's performing his priestly duty in the temple. And a messenger from heaven comes and says this. Do not be afraid or fear not, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. I imagine that as a young couple... Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth prayed fervently that God would bless them with a child. And year after year went by, and still those unfulfilled expectations, no son, no daughter, no child, no pregnancy. But now the fear of that unrealized expectation would be realized with the birth of Jesus Christ And one who would be born to them who would be the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. A lot of people live with the very same fear. The fear of the unknown. The fear of the future. Or or better put, the fear that they themselves will remain unknown. That their life won't count for much. That they won't contribute much. That they would live an unproductive life And so a lot of people ask, will my life ever count for anything? Will I be fulfilled? Will my life ever really matter? It's a fear that many have. Unfulfilled expectations. Now, I've got to clear something up. A lot of people have unrealistic expectations when it comes to God. They expect that if they come to Christ, everything will automatically and forever be peachy and wonderful and all smiles, and all blessings, and all miracles, and I'll always have perfect health, and nobody I love will ever die. What a shallow bunch we would be if that were true, and what a shallow reason for people to come and follow Christ that would be. That is not the expectation we should have. And even this couple, though they had a son, they were old, so that the best years that they could have offered that child were now gone The strength of their years was now gone. But they still had him. And they still were to raise him. And God still was concerned for their fulfillment. For part of the promise that the angel gave to Zacharias, remember, you will have joy and gladness. God wanted to see this old couple fulfilled as their life was passed down through a child. Some people are funny when you get them around a Christmas tree with presents underneath that tree marked for them. They, they don't want to leave it alone till Christmas morning. They would rather pick up the gift and shake it and feel it and try to guess what that gift is. You know the kind. Well, there was a boy like that, and it was one Christmas. It was pretty obvious what he had gotten. He wanted golf clubs, and the box was unmistakably a golf club box. And the weight of it, heavier on one end than the other, gave it away. So when his mom was out, he would regularly grab the package and feel it and shake it and imagine himself swinging those clubs out on the fairway. He hadn't opened the gift yet, but he was already enjoying the pleasure of a future event, the unveiling, the opening of the package. 
There was the box. It had his name on it. He knew it was his. But only Christmas Day would reveal the fullness of the gift. Zacharias got a promise from God that he would have joy and gladness with the birth of the son who would come specifically because of the birth of another child, Jesus. Don't be afraid, Zacharias. You will be fulfilled and your life will count for something. And so the fear of unfulfilled expectations was met. That's the first fear. The second fear comes to a young woman named Mary. We find her afraid in the gospel narrative because she was given the unusual promise that she would give birth to the Savior, the Messiah. And because it was so utterly impossible to her ears, she had no physical relations with any human being, any man at all. The Bible says when she heard that, she was troubled or you might translate it, fearful at his saying, and she wondered what manner of greeting this was. So listen to the message to her. And the angel replied, Do not be afraid, Mary, or fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Highest. Now clearly, this whole event of a virgin birth was impossible. Still is, by human standards. Still is. Impossible. But, question, who would be doing the work? God. Difficulty must always be measured by the capacity of the agent doing the work. So be careful next time you look at something and go, that's impossible. Sure it is for you. But don't you dare use that term when you refer to the Most High God. Nothing shall be impossible. Jeremiah was right on. He said to God, Lord, behold, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Well, that's the very lesson that this young, vulnerable, but godly teenager named Mary is learning. And so the angel comes and says, Mary, don't be afraid. This is how it's going to come down. And she said, How can these things be, seeing that I know not a man? I've never had any physical contact at all with a man. How is this possible? And so the messenger said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of the Highest. Here it is. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Think for just a moment in your own mind. You could even close your eyes if you want to imagine it. might be more painful that way. Think of something that is utterly impossible to you right now in your life. Something that just seems impossible. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a strained relationship with someone in your family. Or maybe it's balancing your time. It's just impossible to figure it out, or your finances. You just can't get a grip or a handle on them. I wonder if you would be willing tonight to leave that with the Lord 
at Christmas. It, it might sound simplistic to some of you, more educated ones, to just simply say, I'm actually going to just leave that with God, walk away from it tonight, and trust Him. Because that's exactly what Mary did when the angel said, Nothing shall be impossible with God. Don't be afraid. You know what it says? The Bible says, She said, Let it be done to me according to your word. She left it. She released it. She took her hands off. One author said, We're all faced with a series of great opportunities cleverly disguised as impossibilities. How about looking at that impossibility in your life and saying, I just wonder if this wouldn't be an opportunity for God to meet my fear of what I have considered up to this point impossible. There's a third fear that came at that Christmas season that was met. And that was with Joseph, young Joseph, the guy who was engaged to Mary, who turned up pregnant. And let's call his fear the fear of embarrassment. Now, Joseph was engaged to Mary. They were both young. And suddenly she learns, he learns she is pregnant. Scripture says this, Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, minded to put her away secretly. Go back in your mind to Zacharias. If not having a child in Judaism was a shame and a reproach, then you got to understand that when you're engaged and you're pregnant, it was even worse 2,000 years ago. And when he found out that that young pretty girl that would be his wife was pregnant, he was sort of faced with double dilemma, double trouble. Number one... He can't continue with the marriage. After all, she must have been immoral. It wasn't him. It must have been another man that she was with. But number two, he loved her so deeply and did not want to give her to public scorn, public humiliation, which was very typical in those days, even stoning to death. And so he just said, I've got to let her go. I've got to go through with this separation, but I'll make it a private and not a public affair. It was embarrassing to him. My girlfriend is pregnant. What an embarrassment. And so the angel comes to Joseph and listen to the message the angel gives to him. Do not be afraid. It's the third fear not of the Christmas story. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice that the angel is quick to reassure the young man, Hey, don't worry. This is a God thing, Joseph. You didn't have anything to do with it. Another man had nothing to do with it. She's conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. But, what would that mean to Joseph? He's able now to go through with it and to marry this young girl, but next few months, that belly of hers is going to grow. Everywhere they walk, every town they go into, and knowing who they are, I say, you see that young man and that young woman? They're not married yet. They're just boyfriend and girlfriend. She's pregnant. Everywhere they walked, Joseph would be facing the fear of embarrassment. But at least... He had the knowledge that God was in it. Now I have a question for you. 
Are you an embarrassed believer? Are you embarrassed with the gospel, the gospel message? Are you afraid to tell people who need salvation that they need salvation, that they need a Savior, that they need Jesus Christ, that there's no other hope for their eternal life? There's a lot of people that are embarrassed. Even though God has done a great work in your life, and it's a God thing, many are afraid to let their light so shine. Well, you should be encouraged tonight. God would say to you, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Because just as God did a work in you, God will do a work through you. And what did Jesus tell his disciples before he left in Acts chapter 1? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I know you can't do this on your own. I've got a plan. It will be not your strength, not your power, but my Holy Spirit working in and through you. God will enable you. All you've got to do is be available. Take the step. Be obedient. Watch what happens. Fourth and finally, in this Christmas season, the fear of hopelessness was dealt with. The fear of hopelessness. Now we go from Zacharias, Mary, Joseph, to that small band of shepherds that were outside of Bethlehem that evening. It's the most familiar part of the Christmas story. Don't you find it? Encouraging, if not interesting, to say the least, that the very first group that had the announcement that a Savior was born wasn't a group of kings, wasn't a group of theologians, wasn't a group of scribes or priests, but it was a small band of shepherds. Why? Well, I see it as a picture of God's grace, because shepherds were considered 2,000 years ago to be outcasts. They were like the lowest strata of blue-collar laborers in Israel, outcasts. Why? Because their work, working with sheep, made them ceremonially unclean, which would keep them away from the temple sacrifices and oblations and washings for months at a time. So nobody paid much attention to them. There really wasn't much hope for them because they couldn't participate in all the religious stuff that everybody else could. And I bet you that these shepherds themselves felt a little bit hopeless. And so the message comes to them. Good news, great joy to all people. Something else that some of you may or may not know, and that is many believe that these were the very shepherds, the ones in Bethlehem, that were raising all of the lambs that would be sacrificed in the temple. Remember, there was a sacrifice every morning, every evening. And at Passover, there were multiple thousands of lambs slaughtered. Josephus tells us one year, there were 256,000 lambs slaughtered on that one altar in Jerusalem at Passover season. So imagine yourself, you're a shepherd. And you raise these sheep every day, every week, every month, year after year. People grab them and sacrifice them and get a new bunch of next year and the year after and the year after and the year after. And it never ends. It would seem to the shepherd who is on the outskirts already, hey, this whole religious system seems pretty hopeless. Is this sacrifice stuff ever going to end? 
Listen to the writings of one who supposes the musings of a shepherd watching the crowds come for Passover with their lambs. The celebration strikes him as ironic. Streets are jammed with people. Marketplaces chocked full of the sounds of the bleeding of goats and the selling of birds. Endless observances. The people relish the festivities. They awaken early and retire late. They find strange fulfillment in this pageantry. But not him, not this shepherd. He thinks, what kind of God would be appeased by the death of an animal, any animal? Well, the shepherd's doubts are never voiced anywhere except on the hillside, but on this day they shout. Isn't the slaughter of all these animals going to end? And it's not even the slaughter of the animals that disturbs him. It's the endlessness of it all. How many years has he seen people come and go? How many caravans? How many sacrifices? How many bloody carcasses? Memories stalk him as well of uncontrolled anger, of uncontrolled desire, of uncontrolled anxiety. So many mistakes he's made, so many stumbles, so much guilt. And God, he seems so far away, lamb after lamb, Passover after Passover, and yet he still feels the same. And so he turns his head, and he looks up again to the sky, and he says, Will the blood of yet another lamb really matter? Now, if you were standing next to a shepherd voicing that, what would you tell him? You'd probably say, if you were a New Testament believer, no, really won't matter. There'll be a whole bunch of them next year that'll need to be passed off to this group and another group, a bunch of them the year after, and it's just going to go on and on. So another lamb won't really make a difference. But you'd also say, except for one, and that is a person called a lamb. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so with all of this hopelessness that these shepherds as outcasts must have been feeling came the first message on Christmas. And here is the fourth fear not of the Christmas season. In Luke chapter 2, the angels sing, Do not be afraid or fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, here it is, a Savior. That's the Lamb that matters. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The fear of unfulfilled expectation. The fear of human impossibility. The fear of embarrassment. The fear of hopelessness. All met in Bethlehem that night. So, what would God be telling us this Christmas Eve of 2008? Simply, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid at the end of this year going into another year. Some people that I've talked to of late are afraid. They're fearful for the economy and what it means to them. They're fearful because of the political landscape. They're afraid that will change the Constitution or the makeup of America. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear is probably the greatest barrier, A, to knowing God, 
and B, to experiencing all of the fulfillment that God intends for you to live with. It's like a self-made prison that keeps you stifled. And so four times to four different situations comes the same message. Don't be afraid. Well, I would say Christmas time, if there's any time to let go of your fear, it's tonight. Let it go. Release it. Make that simple statement that Mary would make. I'm going to trust it to him. Let it be done to me according to your word. So, stop tensing. Start trusting. And if you've never trusted Christ personally as your Savior, or maybe you have, and that was a long time ago, but you're not trusting Him today, please don't make Christmas the one day you decide to visit a church. Make it the celebration that goes on day after day without fear, a fulfilled life, knowing Christ, knowing His salvation, enjoying His fellowship. And Heavenly Father, that's where we leave off this Christmas Eve, on into the morrow when we experience fun and fellowship with friends and family, as we gather together and as we partake of meals and as we open presents and as we sing together and there's joy. Lord, I pray that Christmas would not this year be like a birthday party where we forget to invite the one whose birthday it is. I pray that Jesus would take front and center stage in our homes and in our lives. Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight who doesn't know you. I pray that they would just say yes to Jesus. And if you're sitting there tonight and you're saying, I I need to do that, I'm glad I came to church and the music was great and I loved hearing all the songs. It was exhilarating. But I I need to make it more than just an event. I need to make it more than just participating in some choruses. I want the song to live on in my heart. I want the fulfillment. I want my fears met and banished. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to take this child who grew up to be a savior the lamb that was slain for my sin. I'm going to take him into my heart. And if you're willing to do that right now in your heart, would you pray something like this? Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Tonight I place my trust in Jesus Christ, who alone paid for my sins on the cross, and who alone rose from the dead. I turn from my sin, I turn from my past, and I turn my life to you. I give my life to you. Be my Savior. Save me from my sin. Be my Lord. Rule over my life. Be Christ the Lord in me. And help me to live a life pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org.
If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.